welcome. If you are a guest or visiting for the first time this morning, my name is Luke. Thank you for being here. I serve as one of the pastors on staff here at Mercy Road. And we are in a message series titled Kingdom Culture as we're working through the book of 1 Corinthians. And so this morning we're kind of midway through this collection of teachings. So I want to invite you right now to go ahead and open up your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. If you've got a paper Bible or you could use your phone, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It'll also be on the monitors to my right and to my left. But before we jump into the text, I just want to invite anyone in the room this morning who's just longing and and desiring another step of connection beyond our Sunday gathering. I want to invite you to consider Rooted. Rooted is a 10-week discipleship experience that serves as an on-ramp and fosters that community, that longing for community, that longing for friendship that all of us have. And that begins mid-October. There'll be multiple sites that Rooted will be offered. It'll be offered both on-site and off-site in different towns around the city. And so we just want to gauge as much level of interest that you have in this. So again, it is on the QR code. As Nick was like, if there's a QR code on you, and I was like, hey, that's a good tattoo idea. Like we should put a QR code on you. Uh, But there's a QR code in front of you. And that will link you to that rooted sign-up. And you're not marrying the program when you let us know that you're interested, okay? So you're not, you're not uh, committing just by showing interest. But we do want to invite you in to community outside of Sunday morning and that connection outside of Sunday morning. Also on that QR code, you'll see, this has been a long time coming. We're really excited for this. We're ready to announce that we actually have a fund, a pool of funds available for any family in our context, in our community, that's looking to adopt, but finances are the thing that's in the way. We finally have a pool of funding to help that family or families complete their adoption process. Can we just give God a shout of praise for that unique, powerful measure of grace and so if that just like, whoa, where'd that come from, Luke? If that like moves you in any way, if you're that family, if you, if you know a family that lives next to you, they've been kind of coming, you're not sure, please just let us know that you're interested. That's enough for us to work with. We want to release those funds to a family or families that need the financial help to complete the adoption process. Okay, let's jump into the text, but before we do, Let's offer a word of thanks and we'll get right into it. Jesus, thank you for everyone in this room this morning who's expecting the water from your well to wash over their souls and the bread of your life to nourish their their heart. And so, Lord Jesus, what a joy it is to come under your name and submit to the authority of your word and ask for your spirit to move in and amongst us this morning, bringing bringing all of us into a more intimate state with you, Jesus, and with each other. And so, Lord Jesus, that is my prayer. I pray that the, the saints in the room, those who have known you for many, many years, would begin to just pray prayers of intercession during this time that those who are lost and looking for you might find you this morning in a very special, tangible encounter, God. But we want, more, we want nothing more than many people that don't know you come to know you in faith, God. And so I pray that the words of your scriptures might bring about fresh faith in all of us and, and may it bring the lost into brand new faith even today. And so God's people said with passion, amen. In verse 17, this is the word of God, Paul uh, is going to begin to share with the church in the city of Corinth his 
passionate opinion about the Lord's Supper. And as we jump into this particular set of scripture, it's important for me to remind, especially those who are guests or visiting for the first time this morning, it's important for me to remind you that the city of Corinth was a very morally, ethically uh, corrupt city. And this church plant that Paul planted in the city of Corinth was floundering under poor leadership, uh, a commitment to God's word was just really not all that important to them. And they began to lose their witness to the lost world. And so Paul is doing everything he can to bring about measures of grace into their life that they might now find a new, fresh commitment to the things of God so that their witness is effective. So that they might represent and be ambassadors for Jesus in a way that is tangible. So that... that People far from God would be encountering him and discipled by him and by the local community. And so he, we've addressed, if you've been here now for the past month, we've addressed a number of topics. This morning, we're going to address the topic of communion. And I shared this morning with the team, I was like, this morning just feels very liturgical without the liturgy. Like, and so if you grew up in any kind of church experience that, that practiced liturgy, I want to invite you to, you know, I don't know, like enjoy that again, even though we're not necessarily going to be doing much liturgy itself. This message lends itself and fosters an additional sense of awe. It fosters an additional sense of intimacy with Christ. And I just want to invite you into that this morning. I especially want to invite anyone who is here this morning who, who thought that they had to be here so that they had to clean up their lives first for God to, to love them. I just want to share with you right away that you are lovable as you are. Like in the current condition that you walked into this property this morning, you are lovable. And God's nuts about you. He's just crazy about you. And if I could just like throw the iPad behind me and spend the rest of my 40 minutes telling you about how much God loves you, maybe I should just do that. I don't know. But God just loves you. And I know that you think you have to become lovable for God to love you. But because you are an image bearer, you are lovable. And because he made you, you are lovable. And so may you have the courage to retire that satanic lie to hell. You are so lovable, friend. God is so crazy about you. And, and may your heart be open to encountering him today. Maybe you don't know him. Like, well, I don't, I don't know this God you're talking about, Luke, but uh, look, if I'm lovable in his sight, I want to know more. Like, open yourself up to this living God. And my hope and my prayer is that as you encounter him, he begins the incredible work of transforming everything inside of you and making it new again, okay? And so that's my, that's my prayer. So let's, let's jump into the text. This is verse 17. This is on the topic of communion. We're going to get right into it. We're going to have some fun this morning like we always do, but we're really going to dive deep into this, this special message, okay? Verse 17 says, in the following directives, I have no praise for you, <laughs> which is a really funny way for Paul to start his encouragement for these Christians in Corinth. In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. Great. Verse 18, in the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent, I believe it. No doubt, 
there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. He's almost using a little bit of tongue-in-cheek there to be like, some of your differences are really not differences at all. It's the way that you conduct yourself and posture yourself so that it looks like you have the most of God's approval. Verse 20, so then, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat. For when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. And as a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this manner. Okay, here's where context is the key to understanding this really kind of harsh tone that Paul seems to have with these Christians in Corinth. The context is everything. The Christians in Corinth were such infant and baby and, well, I would actually say childlike, childish Christians that they were using the Lord's Supper. And they were using uh, what we now call communion. They were using the Lord's Supper as a way to posture themselves to show themselves off as having more of God's approval than someone else. Well, how would they do that? Well, apparently, the people that had resources and had uh, financial uh, means would, would bring about with them a measure of food to the communion Lord's Supper, to the love feast is what it was called in that day, the love feast. And they would participate in the Lord's Supper. And can you imagine those who had wealth and resources brought themselves like a big <laughs> like spread of food and everyone else is like, dude, can I get some of that? <laughs> and that is how they were posturing themselves to show or try to show that they had God's approval. Well, look at the food I brought. I mean, can't you see, like, my food is clearly superior to your food. Like, nice can of Spam. Like, I have some home cooking. So we have, we have some real problems in, in, the, in this church floundering and, and wavering in their commitment to the Lord. And Paul's like, whoa, 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 you've totally misunderstood the point of the Lord's Supper. You've totally lost the point of gathering this together for this love feast and, and recalling together what it is that the Lord Jesus had done on the cross. You've turned it into posturing. You've turned it into something that it's not even close to being. And some of you are showing up to fill your bellies at the feast because you've got the wealth and resources in your own means and you show off that to other people when you show up and that ain't right. And so Paul is calling this out. And although I, again, I've said this every week until now and I'll say it again this morning, I don't think we have that particular issue in today's church, or at least this church, I haven't seen that at least in this church, I will say that the key words are in verses 18 and verses 19. Divisions and differences. Divisions and differences. So all we have to do is say like, well then how do we go about posturing? If we don't use the food that we have at home in our pantries, what do we use today to posture, to show off to others, I've got God's approval? What am I doing in hopes that you will see me as more spiritual than I actually am? 
What can I do to show you that I've got God's stamp of approval? Well, we all have been guilty in, in some measure or another of this. By the way that we hold ourselves or the words that we use or what we did this past weekend or what sacrifices we made. And look, humans do human things, no doubt. But there is one way that there are differences in the community of God in 2023. It's because we have a long uh, you know, history of church tradition where everyone has had one experience or another in church. And if this is your first experience in church, now you'll have an experience of church. And so we kind of bring in the things that we grew up in. You know what I mean? And so I grew up in the pews, right? I grew up in the pews. There was like a soft red cushion like on the pews. And, and I brought like my cars to play with like during service because I didn't understand anything that was happening in the room. And so that was my first experience in church. And after that service was over, we'd break off for this community meal. And that's what I remember because like I knew how to get the food. Because I was just a kid. So you'd like, you could like cut the line and figure out how to get the We've all had our experience of church, even if this morning is your first experience of church. And so I want to talk about the three primary, the three big, there's more, but the three big traditions of how communion has been or how the Lord's Supper has been facilitated in the church during the church age, which has been the last couple thousand years after Christ. And so the first one is the Catholic tradition. Big word there is transubstantiation. What's that mean? Well, if you have any Catholic upbringing, or maybe you grew up Catholic, I know that you're in here because I know that there are several families who have a lot of deep Catholic roots. Transubstantiation is a Catholic doctrine that teaches that the bread and the wine actually by the blessing of the priest becomes the physical flesh and blood of Christ himself. That's what transubstantiation means. That this has transformed. This little piece of bread and this cup of wine has now transformed into something that it wasn't, was, it wasn't prior and now is the blood and the flesh of Jesus. A more reformed a Lutheran tradition, they would say that the Lord's Supper is consubstantiation. And that consubstantiation means that it contains the spirituality of Christ's presence, but not his flesh and blood. That it is full and it contains Jesus, but in a spiritual way, not a physical way. And then again, there are more Protestant traditions where the, the bread and the wine are purely symbolic. And I know what all of you are thinking right now. It's like, Luke, which one are we? <laughs> which one do we hold to? Which one do we stand on? And, you know, the, you know, the problem with taking stands is that, like, you're just going to fall off the thing you're standing on, like, the, ne the next day. <laughs> and so here, let me say it like this. I don't care if your, your Catholic upbringing brought about a spirituality inside of you where you believed wholeheartedly that the bread and the wine became the physical blood and flesh of Christ. If that's near and dear to your heart, even though I don't hold to that, look, I'm not going to ask you to throw something out that's helped you become more spiritual in the presence of Christ. I would not say that that is commensurate with Scripture, but you might think that's super sacred, and honestly, go for it. To me, it's not that important. I actually don't think that's the point in Paul's passage here. 
Again, if you have a more Reformed tradition, you grew up in more of a Lutheran tradition or context, and the elements of the bread and the wine contain the spiritual presence of Christ. You're like, well, they didn't become the flesh and blood, but they certainly contain the spiritual presence of the flesh and blood. Like, again, like if that's near and dear to your heart, it's all good. I don't think anyone's going to hold your feet to the fire and say, repent of that doctrine. I really don't think that's Paul's point here. And then again, if you, if you want my personal opinion, this is just Luke's opinion. I believe that Scripture presents a, a more symbolic approach to the bread and the wine. That it's more commensurate with a symbol, a memorial of Christ's death. And that when Jesus said, this is my body and this is my blood, he was basically making an inference. This is like my body and this is like my blood. If you tried to put yourself in the disciples' shoes and you heard Jesus say in front of you, this is my body and this is my blood, they'd be like, well, clearly not. I mean, that's, that's like, that's bread. <laughs> like, that's bread. You didn't, you didn't pull that from your arm. Like, that's bread. He, that he was saying that this is like. Now, it, again, I actually don't think it's all that important which one of these is your thing. I don't think it's that important which one of these hills you die on. As a church, we celebrate communion in more of a Protestant way. We approach it symbolically. What is Paul's whole point in pointing out differences and divisions among that early context, that early community in Corinth? He was essentially saying that you are posturing yourself in a way, you're using how you are different to show off your spirituality. You have made what God wants to use as a measure of grace about you. You've turned this into a private posture of, look at me, look at me, look at me. And that's what Paul was calling out. So I actually don't think it matters what we humans use to posture ourselves in hopes that other people will be impressed with our spirituality. Paul's saying, don't do that. That's not right. You're missing the point. There was a spirit of selfishness in that church in Corinth. And Paul is inviting those people in Corinth to, to reflect that selflessness resolves selfishness. He was bringing about examples. He was calling them out for ways they were posturing themselves to get the attention. And Paul's saying, no, selflessness resolves selfishness. Man, even as I reflected on this passage uh, throughout the week, I was like, Lord, how, like, how am I just a selfish person? Would you just bring that to mind? And then all these flood of thoughts came to mind. I was like, I wish I hadn't asked them. And all of these selfish thoughts came to my mind, and God just invited me, and I just want to invite you right now. Can we just pray that God would fill the selfish space inside of us so that we might become a selfless body of believers that delights in the company of Christ and serves one another in context? Can we just do that even just right now? Can we just suspend this moment and pray, God, I know that as I think about the ways that I am selfish, so many thoughts come to mind. I'm embarrassed at the level of selfishness that I have sometimes. 
And Lord Jesus, I pray that we as a body of believers, that you would just give us a measure of understanding how we are selfish people. So we invite your Holy Spirit into our bodies, into our hearts, into our souls, into our imaginations and memories, that you might fill the selfish space we hold on to so tightly. In God's perfect name, we said amen. Okay, in verse 23, he goes on. He says this, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. I'm going to pause there before verse 25. That's where we get the word Eucharist, or to remember or to recall the Greek Eucharisteo, to remember, to recall, communion comes from the word Eucharist. So remembrance of me, that's what Eucharist, that's what communion means literally. Verse 25, in the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, making a comparison to the animal sacrifices in the old covenant, in the Old Testament, God temporarily accepted the death blood of animals to cover the sin of Israel. And now he's saying, no more. That system is gone. That old way of living is gone. All of that management, I mean, can you imagine? All of the killing of those animals over and over became this monotonous They became apathetic to that sacrifice. It didn't mean anything if you do it so many times. It loses its meaning. So Jesus introduces the new covenant in his blood, not animal blood, his blood. He says, do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Eucharist, to remember, to recollect, to recall, to meditate on the past, where we get the word communion. It's as if Paul is inviting the Christians in this church in Corinth to look back. He's inviting all of us to look back. My, my wife, every few years, she gets on her phone, this little program, and she takes all of the photos that we have taken as a family, and she has this uh, book company, like, put the photos in books. And then we open them on Christmas or, like, a birthday or something every two or three years, and they inevitably end up on, like, top of the piano or a coffee table or something like that. Well, my kids love them. I don't know if you have any of these kind of flip books in your home, but it's one of my children's favorite thing to do. They will find the flip book and they will say, daddy, 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 come here and look at this. And so I'll come and I'll sit down with my children and I'll look at these pictures from a year ago, from two years ago, from five years ago, from, you know, pre-kids, first kid, second kid, third kid. Thank God, not fourth kid, but just like the three kids. And my kids will be like, look, daddy, look at that. I'm like, oh, I totally forgot about that. But I lived it. And I totally forgot about it. What does that reveal about us as people? Even the most important things that have ever happened to you, 
Even the most transformative things you've ever experienced, you're liable to forget. So Paul is inviting all of us to look back. Look at verse 26. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, look back and reflect on what it is Jesus has actually done. The broken bread reminds us of Christ's body given for us, and the cup reminds us of his shed blood. It is a remarkable thing that Jesus wants his followers to remember his death. Let's just be honest. We do everything we can to forget about death because death is just so unpleasant. It hurts. It brings up memories of pain and remorse and heartache. And so we will avoid the memory of death at most costs, but not Jesus. Paul invites us to reflect and remember the death of Jesus. Why? Because it is not the life of Jesus, nor is it the miracles of Jesus, nor is it the teachings of Jesus that save sinners. It is the death of Jesus that saves sinners. And that sin demanded a payment. And that in God's loving kindness towards all of us, he came up with the payment. He paid the debt that we owed. There's no chance that we could have paid it off. There wasn't enough time, good deeds to be done, to compensate even for the first sin we ever committed. It was the death of Jesus that brought about the covering, the substitute, the atonement for humanity's sinfulness. It's the best news ever that you don't have to pay that debt. Praise Jesus that none of us are like, oh man, how am I going to figure this one out? Like, how am I going to bury, like, dig myself out of this hole? Like, you don't have to dig. There's no digging required. It is faith and faith alone that justifies you before God. Praise Jesus that he is wise enough and good enough and loving enough to create a system and a plan that pays the debt on our behalf. Why? Because he loves you. He loves you and he loves you and he loves you. And the person that came in here is like, I am so unlovable. That is a lie. From the pit of hell, you are so lovable because you're alive. And God made you, and he cares about you so much. So, so why, why do we reflect on the death? Why do we um, meditate on the death? Because that in itself is what saves the sinners. Look at verse 26. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So when you participate, there's this invitation, right? There's this participating on our behalf that we proclaim it. It's as if Paul is inviting us to not just look back, but look ahead. There's now this call on the participants' part to not just look back at the death is what saved me, but now I can look ahead. One of my favorite things to do is to open my phone to the weather app and look at the 10-day forecast. There's just something about being a Hoosier where like your mood follows the weather. You know what I mean? You're just like, well, I don't live in SoCal, right? 
Like, I don't live in Florida. I don't live in Arizona. I don't live in, you know, I live in Indiana. Best people on the planet Earth. And we got some great variety, but we live and die by the weather. And so there's so much joy and delight knowing that there's like a string of 10 days of sunshine. Like, can we just like get an amen for the last like week of weather, right? And so we like look at the weather. We're like, oh, oh, praise Jesus for the, for the 10 days of sunshine that are coming my way. We love to look ahead. We love to look ahead. There is a forecast in scripture. Jesus is coming back. You can look ahead. And when you participate in the broken bread, and when you participate in the poured out wine, you're looking ahead. This guy's coming back. This ain't the end of the story. Although the death is what saves me, it is his resurrection that proves that he's God. And that he's going to fulfill every promise he's ever made, including coming back. How cool is it that we can look ahead? You can forecast. We can look ahead. There is a day when all sin, when all despair, when all hopelessness will cease to exist. I'm looking forward to that day. I don't know about you, but I am looking forward to the day that tears are just a memory. And some of y'all brought in your tears this morning. Maybe they're still in your tear ducts. I don't know. But man, you've just been carrying a measure of hopelessness inside of you for so long. Like, what hope do I have? And man, if people really knew who I was, the wrong that I've done, and the life that I've lived, they would never accept me, love me, respect me. They would never embrace me or include me. I've, I've experienced loss and heartache. I've gone through financial turmoil. I've lost loved ones. I can't seem to find friends. There's just a measure of hopelessness, like a low-grade fever. It's like a 99.9 fever of hopelessness that you just carry around. You can put your hope in Jesus because he's coming back again. And there will be a day that your hopelessness is turned into hope-filled reality. And that is what Paul is calling on the participants of this Eucharist, this communion to do is like, look back and look ahead. Look at verse 27. It says, so then whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, so it has nothing to do with whether or not you are worthy. We are all unworthy on our own. It's just whether it's, not, whether it's done in an unworthy manner. Okay, so, so then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. He's speaking to the Corinthians there and he's saying like, some of y'all are treating this with, with legalism and being dogmatic about it and others of you are treating it with a lot of cavalier, like you're, you're being cavalier about it. Like it's a bigger deal than you're making it. It's also a much more intentional thing than some of y'all over here are making it because you're making this super dogmatic thing. Verse 28, everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. Well, yes, because they were hungover. They were drinking and drinking and drinking. They were misusing and abusing the Lord's Supper right and left. Like, oh, free wine? Bring it on. Like, let's go. And God's like, what? Paul's like, no, what are you, what are you doing? 
Verse 31, but if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such a judgment. 32, nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. He's really bringing the heat to the Christians in Corinth for them to truly understand the spirit of this meal. He really, really wants them to understand it's not legalistic or dogmatic, and it's also not something that I want you to have this really like loosey-goosey cavalier attitude about. It's pretty darn important that you capture what the intention of this love feast among the believers is. I want you to get it. Paul's trying to do everything he can to get it. And here he's saying, I want you to examine yourself. So Paul invites the participant to now not look back and not look ahead, but look within. To look within. Like an x-ray or an MRI reveals under the flesh what we cannot see. It is only by the reflection and the meditation of the participant, you, that you would stop and you would examine yourself and say, what inside me, where inside me is there unresolved conflict? Where inside of this part of who I am that feels and experiences all of the life around me, where is there internal conflict that's gone unresolved between me and God? Is there something that I have not yet confessed to God? Is there there a measure of stubbornness that I have with my Lord that I I just can't let him into that area of my life or that space of my life? That we would look within, Paul's inviting us to look within and examine ourselves and take stock of what is happening inside of our thoughts and our imaginations. Is there conflict with God unresolved? Look at verse 33. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. Anyone who is hungry should eat something at home. Like, dude, if you're famished and you're just going to eat everything that is supposed to be shared, eat at home. So that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I will give further instructions. Okay, so he doesn't just invite us to look back. Paul doesn't just invite the participant to look ahead. He doesn't just ask the participant and call the participant to look within. But he calls the participant to look around. To to like look around. Like look around. This love feast, this, this supper that was instituted in the upper room by Jesus, this is my body. This is my blood. Was not spoken to any of those disciples one on one. It was spoken and commanded to those disciples over a group meal around a table. There, There was a community aspect to that moment. And although something personal is happening between you and God, the communion sacrament and rite, R-I-T-E, transcends the personal meetup with God to include the body of believers as well. Look back. It's the death. Look ahead. He's coming back. You're full of hope. Look within. Do you have conflict with God or with somebody else that's gone unresolved? 
resolve it. And also, look around. There's opportunity everywhere for the table to grow in number. I want to share a story with you that happened about a month ago, and I just I can't shake this story just because I, I thought it was so touching. We, on the first weekend of the month, if you're a guest this morning, the first weekend of the month, we offer a community meal that is in part with communion as we facilitate communion as a body. We just invite everyone to that love feast, per se, afterwards. And so I want to call on you this morning to participate in that love feast, okay? Especially if you're like, but Luke, that's never how I participated in communion when I was growing up in church. You know what? I just want to ask you to to do something a little uncomfortable this morning, maybe, so that God might be able to reveal himself and show himself faithful to you. Because communion alone is kind of an oxymoron. So I just want to invite you to that. But about a month ago, on Communion Sunday, a family walked in and they didn't speak English. And they sat down at a table and I hadn't had a chance to meet them yet. I didn't actually even see them sit down. But a few of the other staff teammates did. And actually, I think it was a staff teammate and a couple of volunteers that noticed that this family walked in and they did get to experience service and then they went out and sat down because they knew that they were invited to a meal. They didn't speak English though, so they didn't really understand like the process of going through to actually fill a plate. And so we walked up to this family, uh, a staff teammate and, a, um, and some volunteers, and they began to gather this family's story. Turns out they walked here, I'm not joking you, from Venezuela. And immediately I was like, dude, I wouldn't like walk to my mailbox if I had a bike. Like, I cannot believe that you walked that far. And thank God there was a translator standing right next to, to this family, and he was able to, to interpret and translate everything they were saying. They were like, yeah, Venezuela is essentially out of food. I was like, oh, my gosh. And so immediately my mind goes to, well, did, did you get a meal here? This was at the end of the, me- at the, end of the community communion meal. I'm like, yes, and it was delicious. Th- thank you so much. And I I can't tell you just, at least in my role, just how proud I am of that staff teammate and a couple of those volunteers for being able to look around and like read the room and discern that there was an actual need going unfulfilled. And that simple invitation of coming around the table blessed this family in a fresh way, a way that I know I'll never comprehend or understand. Because after all, like I'll just be honest, like most of my most of my needs are met. Like the, the love feast, like I, I try to appreciate it. I, I do, and, and maybe if you're like me, it's it's easy to take those things for granted, but look around. In the church in Corinth, Paul was exhorting, like, hey guys, look around. Some of you are leaving with full bellies and some of you are leaving hungry. You're not actually capturing what it is this love feast is all about reflect on the personal sacrifice of Jesus for you, but you make up the bride. It is we that make up this bride metaphor that Jesus uses throughout scripture. That the joining of Jesus and his bride is not the joining of Jesus and you, but the joining of Jesus and all. 
And so Paul says, you got to look, you got to look back and really understand what it is you're participating in. You got to look ahead and be full of hope. You got to look within and really examine yourself. Is there some unresolved conflict between you and God or you and someone else? Go resolve it. And then look around. Look around. How can you take this special sacrament, this special moment for the believers, and leverage it in a way that speaks the language of love for those most in need? And I'll tell you right now, I I hope and pray there are more families that experience Jesus because a little local church on this side of town that's growing into their next season of life is able to provide a moment where those families can see the community of believers engage in an ancient meal that has realistic implications for today. And although I haven't seen that family again, that wasn't their intention. This was just a stop on their journey. My hope and prayer is that that small measure of love, of being included in a meal, of having a full belly at the end of that time of fellowship, I'll never forget what they said. The interpreter said, well, it sounds like the family really experienced the Holy Spirit here this morning, even though they didn't understand any of the words that were shared. And that has just stuck with me. That has just stuck with me. That the Holy Spirit was so tangibly present to this family that even though they didn't understand English, they experienced God. And that is the point of the communion sacrament, that we individually and we together would experience God. Here in a moment, we're going to celebrate a couple of baptisms, which is the initial rite of the church, R-I-T-E, the initial sacrament of the church, being communion, the ongoing rite of the church. I want to invite you this morning, if you are on the fence about baptism and you've never been baptized before, Would you just take this invitation to experience God in that sacrament? Because there's actually nothing special about the water. Everything is special about Christ's sacrifice. The water illustrates something. A life underwater is a life gone, retired, old, passed away, old blood, old covenant. A life up out of the waters, new blood, new covenant, new life. Now I've participated in something meaningful that I can associate myself with now Jesus and not the worst parts of my story. And the rite of baptism and the rite of communion help us step into the presence of Jesus in tangible, life-changing ways. So Maddie's just going to be up here and she's going to lead us in the time of, of reflection and meditation. And I want to invite anyone who wants to participate in baptism this morning, you're welcome to come. But before we do, let's participate in communion in maybe a way that you can relate to. I call this uh, airplane communion. The blood and the bread, single serving. But there is something powerful about doing it together, isn't it? So would you just take the little piece of bread out? And may we reflect that Jesus took bread and he said, this is my body broken for you broken. It was broken on the cross. Let's take it together.
then Jesus took a cup of wine. He said, this is my blood spilled for you. It wasn't for him to get credit. It wasn't for him to show off to angels. It was for you and for me, for us, that his body was broken and his blood was spilled so that the demand for sin was satisfied. Let's take it together. Holy Spirit, what a joy it is to participate in communion, an ancient symbolic meal that means something. It brings us into a more intimate state with you. What a joy it is to know you in a powerful and intimate way. I just want to read a quote over you this morning, church family. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain? For me who him to death pursued? Amazing love. (laughs) Amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, shouldn't die for me? Charles Wesley, 1738. God, that is our reflection this morning. I can't believe that you would die for me. I can't believe you would die for me. I can't believe you would die for the world, God. What amazing love you have for us. That that death is what saves sinners. And your life gives us hope. And the return of your son, Jesus, God, gives us something to look forward to. So may the rites of the church, baptism and communion, be something that helps us encounter and experience you in more tangible, meaningful ways. We love you, and we're grateful for your love this morning. So Spirit, if anyone needs to become baptized beyond the two that are planned, would you push and move into them right now? We want to invite anyone in the room, if if you're nervous to walk up to the baptistry, just grab the hand of the person next to you. They'll, They'll escort you up there. There's a bathroom, a private one, a change of clothes, towel. The baptistry is warm. You have no excuse. In Jesus' name, may your spirit be among us this morning. Let's worship together.